In July 1981, I was a little over two years old. My parents and my grandma hiked me up my first mountain, Whiteface Mountain in Lake Placid, New York. This trip was just after the 1980 Winter Olympics that were held there. My favorite part of getting to the top is taking in the view, but is often overshadowed by the thoughts of how few people will actually get to experience what I'm seeing. It makes me happy knowing that my parents and my grandma made it to the top at least once, and I'm confident that trip sparked my love of the outdoors and adventure. I discovered my passion for the outdoors very early on, but lost it as a young adult. The demands of day-to-day -day life and career advancement overtook me. One of the things I am most grateful for is that I was able to rediscover my love of the outdoors and adventure, and that I am able to balance my passion with my day-to-day -day life. I was once quoted as saying, when I'm out there, everything just completely melts away. It's just me and nature. I'm not thinking about my job, about my finances or life in general. The only thing that matters is that exact moment. Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and I'm here with Matt. Matt is a lifelong adventurer who spends most of his free time outdoors from hiking, backpacking, and camping to trail biking, all the way to kayaking and even surfing. When it comes to travel, his preference is always a good old fashioned road trip to somewhere new and exciting. His mission over the past decade has been to find the balance between managing the demands of day-to-day -day life with exploring the wild and to help others to do as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Can you tell me about that excerpt that you just read? Yeah. So that's kind of um, how I think it all kind of got started for me. Um, there's, I've actually shared some pictures recently to social media, the old scanned inversions that are just terribly blown out and they have that nice sepia tone to them. And I've been thinking a lot about those moments and, and what really kind of got me into to this lifestyle. And it's, it's, it's just there. It's always there with me now. I carry it with me. And looking back, it's such a cool place. And it, I really do believe that's what started things down this trail for me. So you basically came from adventurers. <laughs> I, well, you know. I, I'd like to say so, but I don't think so. They're definitely homebodies. So, uh, you know, I've, I've often thought maybe I'm adopted at the same time. <laughs> so I, I think it's just kind of always been in my blood to be outdoors. Uh, and I think a lot of people think that through childhood. Um, and I, like I said, I definitely lost it through my, my young adult, you know, my twenties, it was more important about status, money, job. And like I said, I was fortunate enough to, to find it again. Um, and it's, it is my passion. It's what I like to do. It's what I love to do even. How did you find it again? Uh, that's a great question. So it actually kind of started, there was a show that aired uh, on the Outdoor Life Network in Canada called Departures. And it, it became kind of like a cult classic. I think Netflix actually picked it up recently. And it was only three seasons long. And it was these two guys. They were around my age, maybe a little bit younger. And they basically decided that they were just going to quit their jobs and, and travel the world for a year. Um, they managed to get funding, I guess, from the, the government of Canada to do this. And they put together this plan and I would watch this show every week and just be so jealous. You know, here I am commuting an hour, hour and a half to work and, you know, grinding it out in traffic and, and, you know, terrible Ontario winters. And it was just, it was horrible. And then I'd watch these guys and daydream about it. And I kind of knew then like something was going to give, something was going to change at some point in my life. And, uh, it did actually, it was 2012, basically walked away from corporate and said, I'm done. And I took a gap year and decided to just take on the world and, and see where it led me. 
You took on a gap year? I took on a gap year and I had no plan. There was no like, hey, I'm going to these countries or whatever. And I didn't even leave the continent. I uh, stayed in, in North America, but I actually managed to hit 21 states, um, which I thought for not living on the road, like a van lifer or whatever, just kind of figuring out where you want to go next. Uh, I did a pretty good job. Um, you know, it was, it, it started off with, you know, take some time to just unplug and unwind. And I, I started actually in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach and just kind of laid by the ocean for a couple of months. It was affordable. It was perfect. It was relaxing and just got that, that hard reset that I kind of needed. And from there, it just expanded into, you know, I've never been to Manhattan. I've never seen Times Square or, or the Empire State Building, or I've never been to Boston. I've never been to, you know, Washington DC and seen the White House. So I just started crossing things off of my list and, and kind of came up with a, a semi plan, I guess, at that point. Right. Wow. So you, you didn't have this plan. You were just, you just said, I'm going to start in South Carolina yes. and then kind of decided in every city where you would go. Yeah. And it actually has kind of sparked a, a new plan actually um, that I want to hit all 50 States. And what I want to do is I want to hit all 50 States for kind of like the, the number one thing they're known for, you know, like Maine, you, you go there and it, it's lobster or, you know, right. you go to Louisiana. Yes, lobster's it's, great. <laughs> exactly. Right. Or you go to, you go to Louisiana, you go to New Orleans and you got to hit Mardi Gras and, you know, like every state's got something that they're known for. And, you know, 21 states doesn't sound like a lot. It's less than half, but I'll tell you, 21 states was a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, it, it is a lot. And, you know, there's an account that I, I follow on social media where they basically hit every national park in the U.S. Yeah. And I think they were in, in a van. I don't remember the account, but I was reading about them on, I think it was Mind Body Green or one of the, the blog sites that interviewed them. And I thought, you know, that's a brilliant idea. Like you've got a plan, you've got a mission. You know, what I did was just quit my job. I barely had any money saved up. It was just like, well, we'll figure it out kind of thing, right? I so. actually, as much as I like planning, uh, I really love that ability to just, you know, I'm just going to go here today or I'm going to do this. Like the loose planning is kind of nice sometimes and finding that balance between the two is cool. It uh, definitely is. Yeah. I totally admire the fact that you just could just do that because that's like been one of my dreams to just go okay like it's different it's a little different but go to an airport with just a few things and then going where do you want to go yeah and then just like pointing to a thing and just going all right go in there no yeah, plan it's like, you know it's like that um the, the put the map on the wall and throw the dart and wherever yeah. and that's, that's where we're going next right and yeah. you know i i full disclosure you know i know this this podcast is more for the the travel lifestyle and i i haven't been to a ton of countries i've been to europe once and most of my travels were you know resort type caribbean vacations or whatever outside of north america but i was it was early 20s mid 20s i think uh, i went to italy for 3 weeks with and i was meeting up with some friends there and my girlfriend at the time and i went and all we booked was a flight into Rome and a flight out of Milan three weeks later. And, you know, for me at the time, working in corporate and, and doing everything that I was doing, it was terrifying. Like I was not cool with it. And, you know, I slept a couple nights in a train station. I, you know, oh slept on God. a bus one night. Like, And we just, you know, we just kind of went where we wanted to go. And we just made decisions like, hey, do you want to go to Siena or do you want to go to um Venice, you know, like which, which direction do you want to go? Or I don't remember the cities or what way we went. And, you know, 
it was fantastic. The only downside to it was when you had to make those choices, you would get further and further from certain destinations, right? So right. <laughs> the Amalfi Coast, I never made it to because I chose Venice instead. So Venice was cool, but I see the photos of Amalfi Coast and I'm like, well, I'm going back to Italy, I guess. You have to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's, you know, it, I tend to travel more like that. Um, if it's a road trip, it's kind of like, hey, I'll book a flight, like, you know, living in Vancouver, being in the Pacific Northwest is fantastic because you've got Washington State, Oregon, Northern California, which are all beautiful. And that's one of my favorite road trips is, you know, you can either drive down and then fly back from San Francisco or LA, depending on how far you want to go, or you fly down or rent a car and drive all the way back up the highway, the coast highway there. It's gorgeous, right? And there's, there's no pre-planned stops. It's just, okay, you know, this is how far I got today. This is how many photos I needed to take today or whatever. And look, there's a hotel, we'll stay, right? I've been leaning in on that type of travel lately. Yeah. So I totally yeah. admire your adventures. And and this podcast is actually not just about travel, but it's about just being nomadic. It's about, you know, people that love to just do the outdoors, go on adventures. Right. So you so your your whole thing fits okay. right okay, along good, with good. it. So don't worry. What do you think you've learned? Like, what's the most valuable thing that you have learned while you were doing those things, traveling so loosely, especially when you were traveling within the States? Yeah. So, you know, with, within the States, it's a lot easier. The infrastructure uh, is, is much, much better and, and compared to certain countries. And the best example I can give is, you know, Canada is obviously a very um, well-built up country, but it's very vast in between the major cities and wild and, yeah yeah and you know it's that's not to to say that it's bad it's just that's just the way it is you know you've you've got a lot of in between and the the best example i can give is i've driven across the country you know toronto to vancouver vancouver to toronto several times um for work or for whatever i was relocating or i wanted to move back to wherever i wanted to move back to being from ontario but working in vancouver whatever it was um you know, and the difference between doing the drive through Canada and the drive through the U.S. is, you know, in the U.S., every third or fourth highway exit, there's hotels, there's gas stations, there's restaurants. And in Canada, you'll see signs when you're driving across the country where it's like, hey, you're 300 or 400 kilometers. And I don't know what that is in miles off the top of my head, but you're pretty far away from the next gas station. So you better stop and fill up. Right. So it's it's a lot easier to do that in the U.S., I think. So my preference has always been when doing those cross-country drives is to go through the U.S. It's, it's, it's way more relaxing. You feel a little bit better about knowing that there's a hotel every four or five stops or a gas station every four or five stops or whatever it may be, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole road trip culture is American, the American road trip. So that's part of our, our whole thing. So that's, you know, it, it's pretty easy because they've built this thing. I mean, I think it was like the, when the national park system was being put in place, uh, it started really building up that American road trip. People started getting cars and, you know, that whole lifestyle was a thing because people didn't travel back then. But then it all of a sudden started sparking. Yeah. Well, I think the the interstate highways weren't always connected either. Yeah. So I think there was something that happened and I don't remember the exact timing on that, but that's sort of why the infrastructure in the U S like you were talking about is, is so well done. And that's why, you know, you can order from Amazon or wherever you order and it's there the next day because the, the trucks are always moving because they can move. Right. So, yeah. 
it's yeah. it's interesting and you know it, it's funny you talk about that being like it's almost like america's pastime it's very american yeah. to do those road trips and i remember yeah. when i first left for south carolina and you know you're heading down the i think it's the i-90 no the i-95 95 yep yeah so you're heading down the i-95 all the way to jersey where i'm from <laughs> yeah exactly right so here i am it's you know it was the end of january early february and you know, driving down the I-95, and I, it was summer in North Carolina. I think I stopped, and it was at this huge gas station. And you know, one of those ones was like five pumps in a row or four pumps in a row. So like, there's like parallel parked cars in between the, the cars, gas and yeah. stuff. And I'm looking around, and every every plate, you know, maybe except for one or two out of all these cars gassing up are from Ontario. And it's all the snowbirds, you know, they, they stuck around for Christmas time with their family and they're here. And, you know, I get out of the car, it's, you know, end of January, early February. And, you know, I've got like a hoodie and pants and, <laughs> and you know, scarf and mitt, like, cause it's cold when I left Ontario and there's people standing there, you know, 75, 80 years old in shorts gassing up in North Carolina. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like, this is like such an American thing. And it's, you know, yes. I remember friends that used to like, when we were younger, you know, March break or whatever, mom and dad would throw them in the car and drive to Florida. And I never did that. I never got that drive to Florida. So it was kind of, it was an interesting moment for sure. I definitely uh, enjoyed that. Yeah. In, I just mentioned I'm from Jersey. Yeah. So New Jersey, New York area. Um, I lived in, in both <laughs> states and that was a thing, you know, yeah. you would go to Florida and go to Disneyland. It was this yes. whole road trip that we would, everyone would at some point in their childhood, most people, I'm not making a full generalization, but like most of my friends would go, we're going to Disneyland, we're going to fly, or we're going to like do this whole American road trip down and yeah. uh, go to North Carolina or, you know, go down to the coast or, or you know, it's just, yeah it's part of the culture. Uh, and here in California, now that I live here, it's, I mean, every single weekend I'm going to drive somewhere. It's just, yes. it's kind of cool. Yeah. I love it's it. It's cool. It's my, it's, I'd rather do that than, than get on a plane and, and go to Mexico for a week or whatever. You know, not that there's right. anything wrong with that. It's just not my preference. Right. 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 Yeah. There's something about moving with the land and yes. seeing the changes and, you know, experiencing crossing the Mississippi by, by yeah. the road, you know, like exactly. it's the coolest thing. Uh, which state was your favorite? That's a, that's, you know, I, I ask my, that, myself that a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, if I was to move, like if I had to pick one state to move to, and I just, I had to live there for the rest of my life, what would I pick? And I always come back to Oregon. Oh, Oregon is beautiful. Um, it's fantastic. It's, you know, it's got beautiful mountains. It's got beautiful coastline, beautiful beaches. Uh, the taxes are, are much, much less in Oregon. I, there's no sales tax. So, you know, you go shopping and, and yep. You know, yep. it is what it is. The price is what it is. It's, it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite states. But I, I have to say, you know, I'm a big fan of California as well. Northern California specifically. Sorry, Southern Californians. I'm not trying to sound offensive, but just, you know, the avenue of giants and driving through all of that. It's just, 100%. it's mind blowing when you see those trees. And, and, you know, I've, I've done that drive a couple of times where it's, I've gone from San Francisco up to Vancouver or Vancouver down or whatever it was. And I don't remember, you know, you kind of look at it and say, Hey, it's going to take me six, seven days to do this. And I'll drive, you know, six, seven hours a day and whatever. And, you know, day one comes and you've gone, you've driven a total of four hours and the sun's going down because there's so many places along the Pacific coast highway to stop and pull out and take in the sights. And we were talking about it before being a photographer, you know, you take your time and take your pictures and get your shots. And it's just, it, it's, it's so beautiful, right? Like 
And that, you know, and it's not like that, that ends, you know, Hey, you hit the border of, of California and Oregon and all of a sudden it's completely different terrain. Right. So I've met a few people that were from Northern California that actually moved to Oregon because it's the same sort of weather, the same sort of culture, but it's a lot more affordable to live there. Yep. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's a lot. Actually, my friends just moved to Oregon. No, they moved to Camas, Washington, just because it was just, it's so expensive here in Southern California, especially. I mean, we're in the land of billionaires. You know yes. I mean? yes, exactly. We're in the well, land the... of billionaires <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, entertainment professionals that are aspiring to Absolutely. <laughs> pursue their career. So it's like this gap of like, I'm a struggling artist and, and then this like billionaire world, you're among Lamborghinis. So. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, you got to come to Vancouver sometime. It's, it's, you know, Lamborghinis and Ferraris are everywhere too, right? It's... Oh my gosh. Yeah. I would love to go to Vancouver and go exploring uh, yeah. in that area for sure. There's, there's a lot. There's definitely yeah. a lot to see there. Why are you passionate about travel and what does it mean to you? The big thing, I mean, everybody always kind of has that generic, oh, I, I love, you know, meeting new people, seeing new places, oh, the food and drink, whatever it may be. I'm more about the road less traveled, I guess. And and what I mean by that is, is you know, I remember when I was, you know, doing that year of, of 21 states, I flew into Arizona, into Phoenix and spent some time in Arizona. And then I was driving from Arizona to California. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, you're going to love Arizona, you know, the golf, the shopping, the restaurants, and that, that stuff's fantastic. But I was more concerned about like, hey, where are like the best hikes to go? And somebody told me about, you know, this thing in Sedona where like there's energies and forces and the trees twist. And I'm like, like, that's what I want to see. Like, I'm not going to golf or to shop or like, I want to see, see that kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, you, you get to that place like that in the red rock and you're just, it's, it's, you know, it was amazing. And then, you know, the, the next question is what's the best road to take, not the most efficient or the, you know, the, the smoothest road or whatever, like what's the best road to take from Arizona to California and why is that going to be the best road? Like that's, that's what I'm passionate about. So you, you love to go traveling to lesser traveled places. You love the natural sites. That's right. Yeah, that's how I like to travel too. Like I usually pick like a road that's winding and moving with the land that cuts through a mountain or cuts exactly. through the middle of the desert where no one else is there. And Or I like love. a random tunnel through a mountain that you're under this mountain for like 20 minutes. Like it's terrifying, but it's amazing, right? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah that's, sure. that's, I'm right there with you. I'm right yeah. there with you. Yeah. Even, even the, the Pacific coast highway, you know, I, I remember looking at on my GPS years ago, the one that came with like the rental car and it showed the route. And it was just like a, just like a zigzag for like the next like 150 miles. And I'm like, it's like eight hours. Be, yeah. Like this is going to be insane. Right. Like, but that's, that's by far one of my favorite road trips out there. You know, that's, was that your favorite road? For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's I've done it multiple times and it's on my list to do. I was going to do it again this year um, before things kind of went south with the pandemic. It was definitely on my list to do again this year because I go back and I look at old photos and I go, those are great, but I can do better. <laughs> right. right. I've got a better camera now. And, you know, let's let's go back. I, I want to go back and retake all those photos again. 
Yeah. That's so interesting because I do the same exact thing where I'm like, I have a better camera. I have a better lens. I have better skills. Like I could totally do this. We could do this way better. I, I just upgraded my camera today. Actually, the order went in. So I've got to go back again. <laughs> so Your favorite road is the CA1. For sure. And if you haven't done it, I highly recommend doing it to anybody listening. It's incredible. Do you have any specific places that you love to go? Any tips for anybody who's never gone to the California one? Plan way more time than you, you think you're going to need. <laughs> you're, you're just going to stop and stop and stop. And there's so many highway lookouts and turnouts. You're just, you're going to stop so many times. So Did you'll, you you'll plan for six hours of driving and get three hours in that day. So you know, and then you, you don't want to spend the last day doing 13 hours to get to the airport so you don't miss your flight, right? <laughs> so. You travel a lot in the mountains and the outdoors and road yes. trips. Can you talk about this experience? What inspired you to kind of choose that lifestyle? I know you talked yeah. about it a little bit already, but. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, in the in the intro part that I read, you know, I, I'm always not struggling, but I'm definitely aware of, of the balance between, you know, the day-to-day -day demands of life and working a, a full-time job and being able to get out and do what I want to do and, and find the balance between those two. And, you know, I'm not one of those people that's advocating, Hey, everybody should just quit their job and, and go and do what you want to do, because I don't think that's realistic for a lot of people. And, you know, I was fortunate in my scenario that when I took that leap of faith in that gap year and just kind of did what I wanted to do and recharge the batteries that everything worked out for me, you know, and I was able to land a job that was better than the job I had before in a new city. And, you know, I was able to make more money doing it. And it was, it was a stroke, a stroke of luck. Um, so I, I don't pretend to be like, Hey, I quit my job and everything worked out. Everything's great. I'm, I'm well aware that it could have gone the complete opposite, but this kind of leads to living in Vancouver. Um, you know, the mountains are in my backyard, basically. So I can still have that full-time day-to-day life, you know, that Monday to Friday, grind it out. And, you know, depending on what time, you know, you can be to those mountains, depending on traffic, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. And in the summertime, when the hours, the, the daylight hours are longer, you can get those hikes in, right? So just kind of living in Vancouver and, and being a part of that outdoor life, like everybody always wanted to go, Hey, we're going to go hike this mountain or we're going to go skiing or we're going to do like, everybody's going to the mountains. Right. So you just kind of get sucked into it. And before you know it, you're doing your first one. And you know, the, the one that everybody talks about, the famous one is the grouse grind. And it's not really a hike. It's, it's a workout. Um, they call it mother nature staircase. I know the, the Vancouver Canucks hockey team um, trains there in the off season. Cause it's literally just running upstairs for, you know, a solid hour. And, you know, that's kind of where I started from there. And then it was like, well, that was interesting. What else is there out here that I can climb? It's kind of like this. And that just rekindled my love of being outside and, and hiking those trails, right? What is the most challenging thing you faced as a hiker, as a traveler, as a backpacker? So, you know, the, the overnight hikes um, are definitely an interesting part of it you know to get to some of these places you're not going to be able to get in and out in a day and even if you were you you know they're so beautiful or you can go further you want to spend that extra time you know there's a lot of talk um, with people in the community sometimes about you know the cost of gear you know to get into that kind of thing um, 
you know, if, if you wanted to go into a day hike, you're talking about what you need a good set of hiking boots, maybe a jacket, a backpack, you know, hiking that's, pole. that's not cheap. Yeah. Maybe you want hiking poles, save the knees, right? <laughs> your hiking poles. Okay. Um, you know, but when you start talking about getting into the overnight hikes, you know, now you need the lightweight tent, you need the, the sleeping bag that condenses down, but it's going to keep you warm. You need the air pad, you need the things to cook. You got to carry all this gear on your back as well. You know, the, the first overnight hike that I did with some friends, uh, we went up to Mount Garibaldi, which is a pretty famous one. And it's sort of between Whistler and Squamish, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Uh, more Squamish than Whistler. And, you know, we were going up there for a couple of nights. And, you know, this was the first overnight hike we had ever done. And, you know, I brought enough clothes and food that I could have stayed up there for a week at least, right? Because I just had no idea. I was just like, well, I don't want to run out of food and die. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just pouring food, you know, I went to Costco and, you know, I probably had 60 pounds on my backpack when I probably should have been able to do it in like 30 or 35, right? So, you know, there's there's multiple challenges, but you fine tune it every time, right? So I think once you, you get that experience in and, and you start to realize or you hike with people who know, you know, it gets easier, but definitely the, you know, the cost can be a barrier for some people when you start to branch off from just a day hike to a, an overnight hike like that. What are your tips for that? What are your tips in order to kind of ease that challenge? So what I did in terms of the cost was I waited for REI's anniversary sale. And, and as a Canadian, I went down to the U S and went shopping. <laughs> so, um, that was, that was a good tip. Uh, I definitely saved a lot of money on that one. Um, you gotta be patient with it. There are deals to be had on, on this stuff. And the one thing that I've learned is, you know, buying gear in the off season, right. And that there's a, there's a huge community of, of people that come to Whistler as an example from all over the world, they'll come in for the ski season. And so they'll, they're here, they have a visa for six months or whatever they have to, to be here or a year or whatever. So they'll come in, they'll buy ski equipment, they'll ski Whistler. And then at the end of the season, they're heading back to wherever they're originally from. They're going back to Australia or they're going back to Switzerland or wherever they're originating from. So they're always selling their equipment used on Craigslist or whatever after the fact. So buying your ski gear, I mean, it sounds pretty simple now. I can't believe I didn't know, but buying your ski gear at the end of the season is always going to be more affordable than at the beginning of the season when it's in demand. And same with like, you know, mountain bikes, it's the same thing at the end of the summer, everybody's selling their mountain bikes who's leaving the country. So, you know, definitely take the time and, and figure out when's the best time to buy. And, you know, gear is gear. As long as it's in good condition, there's nothing wrong with buying it secondhand. You are so, so incredibly savvy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been years of this, right? I, I, uh, cause you know, listen, full disclosure, I'm always looking for the best deal on this stuff. Right. But sometimes you just gotta spend what you have to spend to get this stuff. And, you know, People that are thinking, oh, well, I can just get the no-name brands. There, there are certain things that you can do that, but there are certain things that you don't want to cheap out on either, right? Like boots, for sure. You want to have a good set of boots. Yes. <laughs> That's the main one. Yes. The movie with uh, Reese Witherspoon, that was from the book. And Wild. The that, yeah, the boots she had were the wrong size, and she had those massive blisters, and you don't don't mess up your boots. <laughs> I, have, I have boots, and I've had them for like 10 years. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm they, sad. Mine are starting to fall apart. I think I'm no. going to, yeah. And it's, it's like buying a car. It's going to take me months to figure out which ones. Right. I <laughs> so. There was this, uh, local store here in Los Angeles, very much like REI, but a lot smaller. It was like a smaller business and I would go there and they would really, really take their time with trying to fit you with the right gear. And I would right. always go there to 
shop for my boots because they yeah. would fit me correctly. They would talk to me about it. They took, they really, really knew their stuff. And unfortunately they closed last year. Ah, shoot. So sad. It was my favorite. They would have workshops and, uh, you know, that's, about and that's what you want. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you want. You know, we, we've got uh, MEC, MEC, Mountain Equipment Co-op in Canada, which is very similar to REI's business model. Um, and there, you know, you, if you get the right person in those stores, it's the same thing, right? You'll go in and you could talk to a guy about hiking boots for two hours, yeah. you know, because there's just so much information. And you would never think like, you're just like, it's a hiking boot, right? It, I want it to be waterproof. I want it to be comfortable. I want it to, you know, not be a, a, a highlighter yellow color or whatever. Yeah. Like it should be yeah. gentle, but there's so much more to that for sure. Yeah. So, and some of these guys are, you know, a, a wealth of knowledge, you know, yeah. and I, that, you know, we're talking about nerding out. I could nerd out on that stuff all day, right? What is your boot? <laughs> so right now I have Merrells. Nice. Merrells yeah, are very yeah. nice. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with them. But like I said, I'm I'm so I actually slipped and fell with them. And that's when I was like, hmm, that's something's not right there. And I took a look at the tread underneath and went, oh, the tires are getting bald. Time to time to think about getting some new ones, right? So yeah. I'll definitely be having a look for that for the springtime. They have this thing at REI. I forgot what it was, but when REI was opening here in Los Angeles literally 10 minutes down the road from here, they were opening a new branch in Burbank and yes, they were yes. offering uh, replacing your soles. So you could oh, replace, nice. you could have your old hiking boots and they'll replace it with Vibram soles. Interesting. Okay. For like 20 bucks. So if you really love the fit of your, yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> super you attached. your soles. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And you know, the other thing that's like that is, is the backpacks too. You know, especially oh, yeah. for these overnight hikes where they're, you know, 50, 60, 70 liters in some case, these backpacks. And, yeah. you know, I've spent days trying on backpacks and trying to figure out, you know, and, you know, that's, that's the challenges. You'll see a flyer and it'll say, you know, hey, check out this, I don't know, Osprey 60 liter backpack. And it's on sale from, you know, $4.99 for $99 Black Friday door crash. And you're like, amazing. That's the bag I'm going to get. And you go in and you try it on and you're like, this is so uncomfortable. It does not bad. fit me at all. Right. And there's sizes, there's female versus male bags, depending on like the straps and different, oh, like, yeah. you don't realize how, how much information and, and these companies, like they spend a ton of, of research and development to figure out how to distribute the weight. And, you know, like I've put packs on before, like the pack I have is an Osprey pack and, you know, 50, 60 pounds in there. And it's like, no problem. You don't even really feel yeah. that it's there like it just distributes the weight and you've got everything you need for the next two or three days it's fantastic so it's uh my last backpack that i just bought i bought it last year yeah i really really i forgot what brand it was I, there, there was this really awesome brand at rei that i loved the look of it but then when i put it on i was like oh man this yeah, sucks exactly. i'm exactly. gonna have to go for the other one because this is just not fitting my waist correctly and it doesn't i have a wide waist and it's just you know yeah nope. you gotta you it's, it's so the fit is more important than the than the look of the backpack for sure exactly right? like exactly. you want to fit Exactly. And, you know, being a, a photographer, you understand, you know, just buying all black gear doesn't really help either. You, you no. got to have some colors that pop for those photos too, right? So my, my Osprey pack is like burnt bright orange. <laughs> so so it, it really shows up nice in photos. And also, you know, just in case you die or like are dying on a mountain, <laughs> they can find you and you're not uh you know blending in with the forest <laughs> yeah well that's also true right don't get don't get green and brown whatever you do right exactly because <laughs> it's like hyper green with the whole gap year thing how did you prepare for that 
there wasn't much. It was like I had an apartment. I gave up my apartment, sold what furniture I, I didn't really need. Um, and just tried to turn as much of that into cash. So I had cash to go and I just kind of went like there was no, literally no plan. And like it sunk in, you know, a month later where I was like, shit, <laughs> like I got like five grand to my name right now. Like, this is brutal. Like what, what was I thinking? What was I doing? But uh, thankfully the costs were very affordable to, to be there. So how fast did you do this? Did you go, okay, I'm leaving. I'm so- selling my things in a week. Or did you take like a month? to kind of prepare and then went off. Yeah, there was some preparation. Um, You know, it was one of those things where I I actually, so one of the the trade secrets I had was I actually had a a fair amount of vacation time built up with the company I was at. So again, talking about spending, you know, close to a decade in corporate and commuting and whatever, you know, never taking your, you know, I think I was earning four or five weeks vacation at the time, which is fantastic. And I was probably taking one a year, maybe two on a good year. So when I did leave, I had, you know, a month or two months worth of vacation days or whatever it was built up that they actually ended up having to pay me out and they allowed me to take some of it. So I still stayed on as like an employee for four weeks. So I just continued, you know, that first month I continued to get paid even though I wasn't working. And then they paid me out, you know, the remaining four, eight weeks or whatever it was after that. So that was basically what I had to go off of in terms of, you know, money and, you know, everything that I had sold in terms of furniture or whatever, that was pretty much it. And you know, I, I it was myself and uh, my girlfriend at the time both did the same thing. And it was, you know, we had talked about it, like just kind of joked around about it for a little, you know, for a few months. And then all of a sudden it was just kind of like, hey, we should do this. Like we should, we should just actually do it. Let's just go and do it. And, we'll, you know, we're young. We'll see what happens. So, you know, we made it work, but it was definitely uh, a, a huge risk, right? Like looking back at it, that's so not who I was or who I even am. Like, I don't take risks like that. Like, I have a good job. I'm making good money. You know, it's everything's okay. Everything's steady. I can pay my bills. I can afford to live. Why would I walk away from that? And I just, you know, I think maybe it was two or three months turnaround. We said, we're going to do this to when it actually happened. Do you regret it? Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) You know, I, I, I experienced so much um, during that time and it landed me in Vancouver because it basically how I came to move from the Toronto area where I basically grew up to Vancouver was at the end of that year I kind of looked around and said well now what I just go back and get a job again and work in an office like it just seems so anticlimactic like I can't just go back and do that so we kind of just said you know what let's just move to a new city let's check out the west coast you know we loved California and Oregon Washington let's let's move to Vancouver um you know, so basically found a place on Craigslist, rented an apartment from someone I had never met, sent her checks in the mail for, you know, first month's rent, last month's rent. I borrowed $5,000 from a family member because I had no money at the time. Basically, it was all spent from that taking that year off and packed all, you know, my stuff up, shipped it across the country, moved to a city I had never been to, rented an apartment from someone I'd never met without a job lined up. Like that was an even bigger risk because I was locked into a lease. And thankfully, the, the company that I actually still work for today um, was, a, was a growing company. And we had kind of been talking a week or two before we departed for Vancouver because I was like, well, I better find, you know, I got to find a job. I better start find looking. And, you know, so like the first night I, you know, drove from Toronto to Chicago and stayed with friends in Chicago and then had a phone interview the next day in Chicago. Right. And I literally said, I'm in Chicago right now. You know, I'll make it to, you know, North Dakota tomorrow or whatever the next planned stop kind of is. So I was basically interviewing with this company along the way. And then when I got there, I think I had been in the city for two or three days and we did an in-person interview and they hired me and it was a much better position than what I had before. 
it was a better salary um, and I had access to the great outdoors. So it, you know, I don't regret it at all because I, I can't even imagine where my life would be had I not done that. What was one of your favorite moments during that gap year? You know, it was amazing to see all those different places and to, to check the boxes of, you know, never having been to Washington DC and seeing all the monuments in the white house and that kind of stuff was very cool. But I got to be honest, taking two months and just doing nothing and living beside the ocean was fantastic. After a, a 10 year grind in corporate and commuting and everything else, it was, you know, go to bed when you want, sleep when you want. If you want to have a nap, have a nap. It was a two month vacation and it was, you know, it recharged everything that needed to be recharged. You know, that, that by far was, was the best part. What was your most fulfilling moment? I think just having the courage to do it, you know, to be able to take that risk. And again, like I'm fully aware that it could have gone the complete opposite way. I could have, you know, ended up in Vancouver and not found a job and then been evicted and, you know, having to, you know, run back home with my tail between my legs and, you know, ask mom and dad if I can stay with them or whatever you needed to do, right. Stay with friends or family, um, you know, but having the courage to do something like that and be that bold and not be afraid and know that, Hey, you'll always be able to find a job or you should be able to find a job and things will work out. You'll figure it out. And I think it was, I want to say it was Jackie Chan. I, I saw recently there was like a, a yeah, like there was a, a meme that I saw of him and he basically said, you know, get out there and travel now while you can, because you can always make more money. You can't make more time or something to that effect. And again, I'm not the guy that's here advocating that everyone should just quit their job and go and do whatever they want. You got to take a calculated risk if you're going to take a risk, I think. But that kind of resonated with me that the only thing you can't make more of is time, you know, and having started doing this kind of stuff so late in my life, um, I, I regret that. I, I wish that I had have had this realization 10 years ago, you know, or 20 years ago, rather I had it 10 years ago. So 10 years earlier than when I actually did, because there would have been an extra 10 years of, doing all these cool things and maybe 21 states would already be 50 states, right? Do you have any dangerous or exciting travel stories when you went and did that trip? Not from that trip, but I actually have one um, that scared me beyond anything I've ever been more scared of in my life. And it wasn't even really that harmful. Um, but in the moment, it was absolutely terrifying. And I was basically coming back from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I was driving from Winnipeg, Manitoba back to the Toronto area. And, you know, that's, that's way up in Northern Ontario. And it's, you know, we had talked about Dominique when she was interviewed and, and her seeing moose and, and yes. things like that. And so we're driving along the highway and it's starting to get dark and we're trying to make it to Thunder Bay, which is, you know, it's a pretty large, I think 250, 260,000 people or something like that. So it would be the next major city. Remember what I was saying about how it's pretty sparse in between these cities in Canada, right? right? So you're, you're driving a good, I don't remember what it was, but like it's an eight or nine hour drive and there might be like a small little place in between where you can wow. stop and get gas. And so we're trying to make it to Thunder Bay, but it's getting dark and we're driving along the highway and, you know, beside the, the highway or freeway signs, you know, oh my gosh, look at the size of that moose. I've never seen one before. And oh my gosh, look at there's a moose over there. And oh my gosh, there's a moose over there. What? And these things will run across the highway. You know, it's only a two lane or four lane highway. Like these things will run across. So the, the advice is stay behind transport trucks or semi trucks, because if they run in front of the truck, the truck will go through the moose and you stay behind it. Because if you hit it in your car or your SUV, you're probably not going to make it. It's like hitting a brick wall. Like some of these things wow. are a couple of tons, like they're massive. So 
you know, really scared about this. So we decide we got to find a place to stop. And we had been camping in, in Winnipeg. So, or north of Winnipeg. So we had all our camping gear in the car. So we're like, let's just find a place to, to camp. So I find that there happened to be an Ontario provincial park, like a few miles down the road. So we turn off and it's this gravelly road and we're driving this gravelly road. It's, it's absolutely pitch black. Now we've been on this road for half an hour. We have no cell signal and like, there can't be a provincial park here. Like, you know, we've been driving all day. We're exhausted. The gas is getting low. Like it was just like a perfect oh storm of what could go wrong. Right. So ultimately we get to the end of the road and there's a sign for Ontario park. So we turn in and typically, you know, at a national park or a, a state or provincial park, there's like a, a, a building and there's gates and there's people there. To, well, it's nine o'clock at night. There's nobody there. It's pitch black. All the lights oh are out and God. it's the honor system. So you got to fill out your license plate and put the money in the envelope and put it in the thing. So we do that. And then we drive in to find a campsite. So we get in and there's nobody in this campground. We're in the middle what? of nowhere. There's no cell service. There's not a single person camped in this campground. So, you know, kind of looking around like this is kind of weird. Like something's not right. There's You're no, like in the, the start of a horror film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like there is nobody in this park, but whatever we're, this is where we're, we're going to spend the night. The money's in the envelope. We've dropped it in the box. We've got nowhere else to go. So we, we start pulling the gear out and there's bugs everywhere and we're getting the tent set up and we've got our headlights on. And thankfully the, the site was actually a powered site so we could plug an extension cord in and recharge everything and get the lights going. But there was nobody there to buy camp firewood so we couldn't have a fire. So it's just cold, it's pitch black. So we just think we're just gonna go to bed. We'll just go into the tent, that's where we're safe. And so laying in bed on the inflatable mattress in this tent and then of course the animal noises start and there's things kind of pawing at the side of the tent. And, you know, I'm in my no. mind, I'm like, oh, it's just a raccoon or whatever. It's no big deal. Just exploring or whatever. But I started to get really nervous because like there could be bears, there could be a moose come through. There's nobody here. There's no cell service. And it all just played out of my mind. And I'm like, this is how it ends for me. Like it, it's over, right? So I'm not joking. I had an ax that I bought and I was sleeping in the bed with the ax, basically like, spooning the ax, right? Like anybody wants it across some, your chest. Yeah, come get some, right? I've got it. And, you know, it's nothing happened. That's pretty much where the story ended. But what what really happened um, that that kind of turned a really scary experience into a, a really amazing experience. And, you know, my grandmother passed away a few years ago and she absolutely loved owls, like loved owls. Oh. She had owls all over the place, so much so that I have a full sleeve tattoo oh, of wow. like nature with a huge owl on it. Like I love owls. Right. Love so. Owls. I actually just posted a couple of shots of owls that I took the other day too to the conservatory where they fly them back. Amazing. But anyways, so here I am like in this bed with an ax, like ready to die. Like this is how I die. And you just kind of heard the wings a little bit land in a tree right above the tent. You can't make it up, let out a couple of owly hoots. And I was like, I guess I'm okay to sleep. And I just oh. I fell asleep. Like it was just like very comforting to hear that. So, you know, I don't believe in reincarnation and that kind of stuff, but it was, it was kind of weird to just be like, that's weird that that owl just happened to land there, you know, let out a couple noises to let us know everything was okay. And then we just went to sleep and nothing happened. Right. So it was, it was definitely an interesting one. Did you meet somebody on the road when you went across the country did that gap year did you uh, did you ever meet anybody that was really meaningful to you or in any of your travels so definitely not on that gap year um because it was just kind of you know what we doing your own thing a, yeah we did our own thing and we took advantage of the fact that you know 
me being a dual citizen with Canada and the U.S., I have a lot of family in both countries. So, you know, cousins in Florida are like, hey, come stay with us. And a cousin in Boston is like, hey, come stay. So we took advantage of, of staying that and staying with friends that were kind of in, you know, in Chicago or in L.A. or wherever. So we took advantage of a lot of that. It's interesting in Vancouver because I often hear people say, you know, moving to Vancouver is a very difficult city to make friends in. And I've, I've heard this oh, repeatedly. And I have to say, you know, I was fortunate the company I worked for was a very, you know, young company and, you know, everybody was social and having a good time and a lot of events and, you know, it's a young tech company kind of thing. So, you know, I, I had an instant social life that revolved around work, so I didn't really experience that. But the hiking community out there is just, it's fantastic. They're just a bunch of great people. And some of my best friends in my life, I have either met on trails in Vancouver or in the Vancouver area or connected on Instagram because they sent me a DM or I sent them a DM just because we seem like like-minded people. And these are people that, you know, like two of my best friends in Vancouver, I met doing a hike in, in Squamish called The Chief, you know, and there, you know, we met on the trail and it was basically, you know, we were going at the same speed and we were talking about how good the burgers and beers were going to be afterwards. And it was instant love, right? So I, I think that community is, you know, they're very welcoming, they're very inviting. And I think generally speaking, it's good people that are out there um, on the trails and, and, you know, wanting to enjoy that kind of stuff. And you've instantly got something in common, right? So it's, it's easier to make friends there. And, you know, I'm not afraid to do a hike by myself, you know, I mean, maybe at night a little bit, <laughs> but, you know, like the, you know, to just drive up to the, to whatever, you know, mountain you want and go up and do a hike, you know, there's going to be, hundreds of people up there doing it with you and oftentimes you just get connected with somebody else or another group of people and just do the hike right so yeah I have met so many people on the trail and then all of a sudden you just become instant friends with them and yes. there's just some there's there's like a love for the trail there's a there's a passion for it that you guys just connect on and then all of a sudden you're having lunch together and that's such yeah. a special thing um, or say, hey, let's let's exchange numbers or find each other right. on Instagram so we can figure out what trail we're doing next weekend. Like I've, right. I've had that before, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there's like a respect for nature uh, that yeah. you both share, and that's why you're working your ass off to get to the top of this thing <laughs> exactly. or to get to this location. And it's like you know, only certain people really want to do that kind of work. Well, and that's, you. you know, to me, that's the part that's so fulfilling about it too, is, you know, you don't just show up and have like a helicopter take you to the top or, right. you know, you don't just get on the plane and then you land at the airport and the bus takes you to the resort and it's margarita time. Like you have right. to work to get to these, these places. And it's, you know, like I said, in the intro, it's definitely overshadowing because I sit down sometimes at the tops of these mountains and look around and it's, it's there's no words to describe it. And there's no camera that captures it, no. like what you see. No. And I, I get sad sometimes because I, I think about people I care about that have never seen that and never will be, you know, like my parents, as an example, you know, they're not going to climb that mountain. No. They're never going to see what I'm seeing. And, you know, I'm grateful that technology allows me to take photos and, and be able to share that. And I FaceTime my parents, you know, yes. from the tops of mountains when I have a cell signal and just give them the 360 view so they can see it. And, you know, just to give them that extra little bit so that it feels like they're there, you know, it's, but it's, like I said, it's definitely overshadowed sometimes with a little bit of sadness because there's so many people that'll never see or experience what I'm seeing and experiencing in that moment. Yeah, I've definitely have said that before where I get to this beautiful, beautiful location or this mountaintop or this lake. And I just think about all of my friends and all of, my, you know, my family that will just 
they'll never get to see this. They'll never get yes. to experience it. And they can only see it through my photos. And uh, even though, you know, you do your best with your photos or your videos, they're just not quite. It doesn't capture it. It yeah, doesn't it's... get it. It just doesn't get it. You can, you, it could be the most fantastic photo and like, yeah. it just does not get what it is. No. And you know, like we, we typically like my group of friends or, or most people that I hike with, you know, it's not like you just get to the top and go, wow, that's nice. And then you turn around and go home. Like, right. You know, we've spent, you know, my favorite way to do it and, you know, People will argue with me on this one for sure, but I like to hike up and be up there for sunset and then hike down in the dark with your headlamp and whatever. And other people argue you're better off to put the headlamp on in the morning and get up and chase the sunrise. And then you can be up there as long as you want. But uh, there's just something about the colors of a sunset that oh yeah, it's just day and night to the, you know, maybe that's where that came from saying day and night difference, right? Like yeah. it's, it's very different when you're at the top and it's, things are getting dark. Yeah. You know? I like to do both because I'm crazy. Right. <laughs> I like to go, okay, I'm going to wake up in this thing and I know I want sunrise there. And then I'll go hike to this other thing and get sunset at this. I'm crazy. Like I just try to, because yeah. there's something about, there's, there's, I always ask somebody sunrise or sunset. And obviously you've already answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go. But uh, sunrise has this solitude in populated sure. areas that I really love and the pink uh the the pink and the red that it hits that first light that you get yes but then the sunset has this like beautiful orange warm thing yeah. about it and then you go into the night and I definitely uh, if I had to pick the two I'm more of a sunset person so I yeah. get you <laughs> I think I th you know what it's it's because you're living in I don't know how close you are to the beach but I feel like anybody that lives near the ocean appreciates the sunsets more than the sunrise oh my God. you yes. sit down on the beach and you're just like oh my goodness look at that right, right? like the sunsets in Vancouver are oh, they're it's incredible right you know just yeah. watching it from your balcony window or whatever yeah. it is right or being at the beach you don't have to be on top of a mountain to experience that glory Yep. Yep. So there's a, there's, when I lived in Jersey, there is one beach in Cape May. Uh, damn it. I forgot the name of it. Someone's going to write it to me, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's facing, it looks like it's facing the West, like the way that it is. It's, I think it's on like a weird peninsula. So it looks like you're, right. you're watching the sunset as if you're in the West coast. And it's the one area that I love in, in Jersey because you get to watch it as if you are watching the sunset go down. And yeah. it's, it's just, yeah, it's like incredible, no that's doubt. one of the reasons why I moved to, to Los Angeles. So. Yeah. The West coast, the best coast they say, right. It's so beautiful. All the mountains, all the secret mountains, all the secret lakes, all the oceans and the, the big Sur well, and all of that. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, just about the, the mountains in BC and they're, oh they're mind blowing. But when you, when you get a little bit more inland into like the Canadian Rockies, like in Alberta yeah. and stuff, yeah. it's like, those mountains are yeah. the BC mountains are nothing compared to those mountains in terms of sheer height and yeah. like and I've I lived in Calgary for a little bit and did some hiking in Canmore and Kananaskis and I was in Banff and, and those areas yeah. gosh um, that's awesome and it's those mountains they're just those are the ones when you're flying over Alberta yeah. you see them peeking through the clouds they're so big right like it's just it's mind-blowing out of everywhere that you've gone what's mm -hmm. your favorite location or trail that you've ever been to I would say that uh, Mount Garibaldi that I spoke about earlier uh, as my first overnight hike sort of has a, a special place in my heart. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've heard of it or not, but basically um, 
like I said, it's sort of between, it's more Squamish than Whistler, but it's kind of in between Squamish and Whistler. And, you know, you, you park at the trailhead and it's about a 10 kilometer um, hike straight up. It's all switchbacks. You know, I think we did it, you know, in three, three and a half hours. Like it took us a long time because of how much food we brought that we didn't need to bring and how many, how many pieces of clothes we right. all brought that we didn't need for our first overnight hike. This was a few years ago. And you get up to the top and that's where you sort of set up your base camp and it's a glacier fed lake at the top of a mountain. Wow. And, you know, we, we climbed up, it was July, it was a million degrees, you know, there was six of us, three guys, three girls. And I think within 20 minutes, all three guys had their shirts off on the hike because we were just, it was so hot. We were sweating so bad. I think I drank my full three liter bladder before I even made it to the top. And so, you know, me being, who I am. I was like, it's a glacier lake. I'm sweating. I got an idea. If I dive in, I'll just cool right off. And so I, it's July and I dive into this glacier fed lake and I've never got out of a lake so fast in my life. You were like, it was ah! so cold, but there was other people jumping in and diving in. So I was like, oh, perfect. Like I'm, I'm going for it. And there's, there's a photo actually on my Instagram where I come up and like, I'm cross-eyed. It was so cold. <laughs> I dove in. I it, need but, that photo. Yeah. It's pretty good. Right. So that, that place, you know, you set up your base camp beside this beautiful glacier fed lake. And, it, you know, I don't advocate for this, but there was people that I saw there that would just take their water jug and scoop water out of the glacier lake and just drink it without filtering it or tabbing it because oh the water is that pure. I still filter it and tab it. I highly recommend whoever is going back country camping, do the same. Don't just drink the water. You get the beaver fever or whatever you get. Right. But <laughs> from there, that base camp is incredible because there's two huge trails that you can go further and one's called black tusk and the other's called panorama ridge okay. and so we chose to do panorama ridge so basically the first day you hike 10 kilometers up set up your base camp have a good time go to bed get up early and then it was seven and a half kilometers up to the top of panorama ridge which looks down on the glacier and the lake and we had lunch up there and then a seven and a half kilometer hike back down to your base camp wow. and then go to bed and then you hike the 10k back down Wow. And I've posted photos, uh, again, to my Instagram and Facebook and whatever, looking down on this glacier lake. And, you know, if you actually search Mount Garibaldi, the photos that people take. That's what I'm doing right now. Ridge, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, I can't wait to get back up there. Wow. Like, it is by far my favorite. And, you know, the coolness factor of it is, you know, when friends and family come from out of town to visit and you're driving through Squamish on your way to Whistler, you know, take your friends who've never been there up to Worcester so they can see it. You point to this huge mountain off the side of the highway and say, I climbed that and I slept at the top of that for two nights. And there's a lake up there that's fed by a glacier that I swam in. And people just look at you like, you're lying. That's not, that didn't happen. <laughs> right? Isn't that, isn't that the most satisfying feeling when you're down on the bottom of wherever you came from and you go, I was up there. Yes. It's it so is good. the best it's feeling so in the world. Yeah, so good. I love it's, it. So it's much. right up there with the, the burger and the beers afterwards. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. When I'm going down off of a trail, I'm usually thinking about food and I'm starting, you know, I'm starting to talk about food. Like, Ooh, I want a burger. Yeah, Ooh, I want this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, we spent two nights at the top of that place and that's the one where we had so much food and and way too many clothes and like we just you know it was so much but you just get tired of eating like the instant food or protein yes. bars or beef jerky or whatever so like walking down we're like we're getting pizza we're getting burgers we're getting fries we're getting that like we're getting tacos like we're gonna find a place that has all of this because we're getting all of this right 
So, and you know, you come down, you haven't showered in two or three days. You just you smell like the woods and you're like, I don't care. I'm going in and sitting down in this restaurant and eating and I'm eating everything. <laughs> so, That's exactly that's what I just did. Uh, this past weekend, I had done a seven mile hike. I don't know what that is in kilometers. I did a seven mile hike uh, and it was so tiring i was so tired and i said i need a pizza i need something and yep. immediately we got off the mountain and that's what i did <laughs> yeah exactly and that, that feeling is second to none as well i mean it's pretty good like the, the sense of accomplishment and the views are fantastic right? but don't discount the food and drink after it's, it's exactly you feel like you've really earned it too yep so. yep it's like you know i i need these calories <laughs> yeah yeah i gotta replenish what i just wasted I gotta, yeah, <laughs> it just exactly. burned off so many yeah yeah <laughs> So since that's your favorite trail that you've done, do you have any tips or tricks for anybody who has never done it? How do they do it? And what do you need to bring? Any like anything that you you would suggest? Yeah. So, well, we're packed, but you know. Yes. Like. Yeah. I mean, the, the fear of running out of food is a very scary <laughs> yes. sentiment. Um, the, the one thing that we could have done better and we have strategically done better since, or at least I have when I go on overnight hikes now is divvy up what we're bringing, like not Yes. Everybody needs to bring their own stove. You don't need six stoves just because six people are going, right? You can bring two and, you know, like things like that. Not everybody needs to bring a clothesline. Not everybody needs to bring this. Not everybody, you know, one person can bring the coffee for everybody. Someone can bring all of it. So, you know, we divvy that stuff up. Um, so that, that has definitely helped, you know, the more experience, the more that you can share in that and hiking in groups like that definitely makes it easier. The, um, the big thing again with Vancouver is, you know, making sure that you're you're on the system and getting your your passes don't go to these places without your parks pass or your overnight pass or whatever passes you need to have for these parks because rangers are absolutely there and active and the last thing you want is to be explaining why you're up there without a pass and you're not supposed to be there and now they're sending you down the hill and you gotta pack all your stuff up and you know and i've seen it happen i've seen people get turned around or you know i've been asked to see you know what's your reservation number or whatever and have to present it to a ranger before so follow the rules there's a fine they only want a finite amount of people up there to preserve their natural habitats and you know they don't want drones flying up there you're not allowed to wash your dishes in the glacier lake they've set up a station oh that's God. got water pumped in for it so you can and i've seen it so you know it's oh it's you know there's there's a lot of little things like that but as long as you respect the rules i think it it works out and you know the one the one item that uh, i learned really easily and interestingly enough is if you can bring some sort of chair it's way better than sitting on like a rock yes. or a, a log you know they've got those lightweight helix ones and they're super expensive yes. but like you just strap it on your backpack you will be so grateful at the end of your 10 kilometer hike up and then the next day when you've done 15 kilometers round trip and you just want to sit down trust me it, it's well worth it yes uh you oh wait hold on for a second so do you have to go get like a per is it remember you talked about like january 1st in order to yes. do garibaldi do you have to like do that or is there another permit system in order for you to it's a good question i don't remember off the top of my head i didn't actually book that one okay. um, for that trip but so so they, there's two different systems and some of them everything opens up for january 1st okay and then there's other ones where they open it up 90 days before the the date that you would be looking to stay so okay. if you wanted to go on july 1st count back 90 days and then you need to make your reservation on that day so and i don't remember and sometimes you know you need a pass just to enter the park sometimes you need that pass and you need to have a tent permit or a pad permit or whatever it is okay 
So it's, you know, just do the research. The BC Parks website is very informative. Um, do the research because each park is a little bit different, I think. I'm, I'm Full disclosure, I'm usually not the one who, who does the actual computer work to book it. I'm just kind of like, hey, I'm in for those dates and that hike. I'll give you right. the money once it's booked or here's the money in advance. Let's book it. Right. All right. But that's really helpful, though, because as an, as an American, if I was coming in or as a European or, you know, whoever's coming into to right. Canada and wants to do those hikes, they at least can know that you can't just go up and hike this thing without the actual proper permits and they can think ahead. Right. So that's definitely Which, helpful. business idea. We set up a company where we take tourists up to, and we get the permits and everything in advance. We've got your yes. backpack ready to go. Like, yes. how has nobody done this yet, right? Yes, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. They do it in different countries. They do it in, uh, I know that when I climbed uh, Machu Picchu and I did the Salkantai Trek and also in Nepal, they had like a system, like I would book a tour and then, you know, my tour guide would book the permits and everything. And then you, they just right. take care of that. But that would help be helpful in Canada. I don't know if that yeah. hasn't been a thing well, yet, but going to look into that one. <laughs> do it. You should right. do it. Well, there's, there's some interesting ones. Like I've never, there's one called uh, Lake lovely water, which is sort of in the same area in that Squamish almost Whistler area. And I've never done it, but what I've heard from people who've done it is you actually have to, you can't hike up and down to get to this place. I mean, you can, but it's a pretty grueling, like there's not a, an actual trail, like you're just kind of cutting your way through the bush. Yeah. So you actually have to charter a helicopter. What? So there's like a, a, there's helicopter tour companies there that'll fly you over the mountains in BC and Whistler and everything, but you can actually charter that helicopter to take you. And I think five or six of your friends up and you have to get the pass obviously. And there's a little cabin up there that you get to stay in and there's a lake and there's canoes and stuff. So wow. that was pretty interesting. I'd love to, you know, how cool is that to just tell your friends like, well, if I chartered a helicopter this weekend yeah. to go to the top right? of the mountain. <laughs> so, That's some baller shit right there. Yeah. Right. Like, baller hiking. Yeah. yeah. I like it. So that's, that one's on my list to check out for sure. Um, that's awesome. Just because of that aspect, like you got to get in the helicopter. It's the only way to get there. So. Yeah. And you got a cabin and canoes. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think there's some trail routes from there as well nice. that, uh, that you can get off to, but don't quote me on it. I've never done that one. It's just one that I've heard people talk about. Yeah. The list is ever growing, right? You'll, you'll cross one off or two off this weekend. And on that, those two hikes, you'll hear about seven other ones you need to do. I know that's my problem as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's all of our problem. Once you're into this community, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> you're, you're two steps forward to, or three steps back, two steps forward, kind of thing, right? Exactly. Okay, so is there a piece of life advice that you can give to a younger you? I think I kind of alluded to that already. In I should have done this sooner. I shouldn't have been so afraid. I should have just gone out and, and taken the chances, albeit calculated chances and risks. Um, and much like that, I think it was Jackie Chan quote, you can always make more money. You can't make more time. Right. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. So I kind of feel sometimes I'm making up for lost time. Well, you got plenty of time, right? I think so. <laughs> big risk equals big reward. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Where can we find you? Where can we find your adventures and follow you? Yeah, so I'm actually, uh, the, the only two that I do are, are Instagram and Facebook. That probably doesn't seem like a lot in terms of how many different social media things there are out there. But um, Matt Outwild, M-A-T-T, Outwild, uh, for both Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so it's M-A-T-T-O-U-T-W-I-L-D. That's correct, Matt yeah. Outwild. Perfect. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Roaming the Earth podcast, stories and adventures of people who are jet setters, nomads, and explorers. This is Drea Castro signing off. Join us again next time. Stay wild. If you're interested in hearing more stories from around the globe, don't forget to subscribe, share it to your friends, and follow me on Instagram on I'm Roaming the Earth.